Welcome to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. In this podcast, there'll be insights around three key areas to mastering the game of life. Purpose, prosperity, philanthropy. Your host, Paul Lowe, the third sector mentor, is the founder of Hearts Global CIC, which along with many other of his charitable commitments, has been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from disadvantaged communities. Author of Mastering the Game of Life, From Pain to Purpose, and Speaking from Our Hearts books. Introducing your host, Paul Lowe. Welcome listeners to this Mastering Life podcast where today I am very pleased to announce that I'm going to be joined by Derek Jackson. Now Derek's a qualified mental health nurse, uh, many, many years experience on, on the subject, being at the sharp end so to speak. So without further ado, Derek, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you very much Paul and it's uh, it's nice to be with you today. Excellent. So, um, well, without further ado then, Derek, do you want to give us a little insight into, into your uh, background, both uh, particularly per, uh, professionally, but to uh, a smaller extent personally as well, so we can yeah. get to know you? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, a Nottingham lad, uh, born and brought up and spent uh, the vast majority of my life in, uh, in Nottingham. Uh, I was uh, one of uh, four children, I had an older brother and uh, two younger sisters, very, very uh, happy childhood, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, went to work in uh, psychiatric nursing at a very early age. Uh, left school pretty well to go straight into psychiatric nursing. And that has pretty much been my uh, career to date. Uh, to this point, I've spent uh, 46 years uh, working with the, uh, the NHS. What, um, if I can come in on that, uh, Dale, what, what? I mean, if you don't mind me saying, that's a very... Uh unusual choice to start your first working part of life it is yeah and there's no real family history of it and i suppose to an extent it occurred you know by default i actually bumped into a, a couple of friends that i uh, used to go to school with uh, who uh, on, on talking to them said that they were uh, trained to be uh, psychiatric nurses because psychiatric was the term then in the seventies, mm. you know, latterly mental health, uh, and and to be fair, I didn't even know really that that men would be nurses at that particular time. Mm. Uh, but it sounded quite appealing. It sounded like it had a structure. Uh, you know, you could qualify, and there were opportunities. And uh, as a result of that initial conversation, I applied. Uh, you had to be eighteen to do your nurse training. So, and I was only sixteen. And uh, as a result of that, um, I spent two years as a, a cadet nurse. So in reality, that gave me some insight, but I was a kind of uh, a bit of a runaround uh, before I became 18 when I was able to formally start my nurse training. But it was a good, a good background. They don't do it now, but it was a good background. 72 gave me a lot of insight and a lot of understanding what to expect in the future. So at that early age then, Del, was you aware that you was the type of person that had got a very caring nature? I don't think it was really evident. I think I've always been a sort of person that would want to help people. Yeah. I look back on my childhood. I look back on my school years. Uh, but I think they had that in me. Yeah. Um, but it became more developed uh, the more I you know, sort of went through my nursing, uh, nursing career. But I think it was something in me. I came from a caring, caring family. Yeah. You know, and, and my mum and dad were, were lovely people. Both, both deceased have been been deceased now for, for, for many, many years. Mm. But we were a very close family, a very caring family. And we were always encouraged to help people, even at a very, very basic level. So I, yeah. think, I think I had that in me. 
Yeah, I want to fly off at a slight tangent, if I may, here at this early juncture. We'll come, we'll get back on track, but I want to introduce a word called vocation because certainly, and we're about you know the same age, and we come from a generation where vocation meant that it was a calling. It wasn't a job. You couldn't just come off the street and do certain roles within society. And certainly as kids growing up, I mean, teachers, it was a vocation. Doctors, nurses, it was a vocation. So I just find it, I find it really interesting that, you know, one so young, because at that age, Adele, when we leave school, we don't really know what we want to do, do we? And it- absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I, and, and sorry to interrupt you, Paul, but I, I agree, really. I mean, I, I went to a school where the expectations were, were low. Mm. Um, and I think that was uh, for a variety of reasons. It was a sort of social setting, normal working class background, mm. normal comprehensive school. The expectations from the teachers weren't fantastic. And I think to a certain extent, that kind of transferred over to, to the vast majority, not all, because there were some high achievers. Yeah. Uh, but that, uh, so, the, you know, the, the thought of a vocation, my mum and dad were just ordinary working class people who had ordinary working class jobs, not professionals, yeah. not people who aspired to or had opportunities to be, to be anything other than, than what was expected at that particular, particular time. So in that sense, you're right, it was a, a bit of a leap. I would have been the first uh, professional person within the family. Yeah. Okay. My dad was quite resistant, quite resistant to me taking it up at first. He had some real issues about being a young lad going into an area that was quite male dominated mm. and was very fearful through rumours of, 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 of what potentially could occur. Yeah. And that, that was, there was some resistance. But ultimately, when I did qualify as a nurse in 1977, it was usually proud. So it was a, there was a huge, a huge shift. Yeah. If, I'd, if I'd left it to my dad, I would never have embarked on psychiatric nursing. But when I did actually qualify, he was as proud of me as, as, as anyone else, you know. So uh, quite, quite, quite different. But yeah, no vocation. There was no expectation either from myself or from, from school that that would be something that you embarked. So as you look back now, Del, on the, uh, dare I say, the twilight of your career and reflect upon those decades uh, of the invaluable work that you've done, would you, and I'll come to labels in a bit, uh, and I really don't like labels of any description, but would you... Sometimes we have to label them. We do, yeah. It's a convenience of society, as is time. Clocks, watches, that's another story altogether. Let's let's not go tangentially (laughs) off another tangent. Um, but would you, as you look back and reflect upon your um, very, very worthwhile career, would you say that actually, you know, that kind of work is a vocation? I would say so. I, I, would, I think it is a vocation. I think it attracts mostly, not exclusively, because I don't think we could say that, but I think it attracts people who have an innate nature to care for other individuals. Mm. Yeah. You know, we don't care. We know at the end of the day, we get paid for what we do. But I think it attracts certain people. So I think it is a vocation. Whether people recognise it, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know if that can be answered. I think that people have an insight and an understanding of themselves and their background uh, and then find a, a kind of avenue, even if it's by default, mm. into, into something like mental health practice. You know, my wife Sharon is a, is a current, she has a, a degree in mental health practice. And you can see similar traits in people's personalities, an innate uh, desire or, 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 or tendency to, to care. 
Yeah. Nice people, you know. To yeah. take to take you know to take the uh, you know the semantics away. It's just just nice people. Yeah. People who want to do all right for others. Some of that will be because it's something within them, or because it'll have been driven by their own experiences. Yeah. You know, you and I have had many conversations yeah. in the past. What drives us to do what we do, mm. and some of it will be about trying to assist other people, maybe not to fall into the traps that we have. And 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 get people to aspire to be the, the the best they can be. I know it seems cliche, but it's there, isn't it? Whatever yeah. whatever words you use, it, it, it's there for people. And I think it is a vocation. People aren't necessarily aware of it, but but they are driven by something to to go and and, and try and help other people. Sometimes in very difficult circumstances, very tragic circumstances. You know? mm. We mentioned the word a few minutes ago, Dell um, labels. Let's focus on labels, if I can, as a generalisation to start with. What's your views? Well, you kind of uh, came back at me quite rightly and said, well, you know, we kind of need labels. But give me your views generally, Del, on, on, on how you perceive labels in life. I think they exist. I think they exist. Maybe not as much as they used to. You know, I think, as you say, there's a, there was a time in life... You know, being the age that I am, you know, being born in the 50s, growing up in the 60s, starting to develop in the 70s, etc. I think there's a time, and particularly within mental health nursing, psychiatric nursing as it was then. You see, because there we are, you see, label, mm. label. You know, I, I was a psychiatric student now, student nurse. Uh, when I was training, but now there would be mental health nurses. Yeah. So there's this, there's this, this shift yeah. To move away from labelling and stigmatising, mm. you know. So now that psychiatric is is a very negative negative word, and so mental health now is is more acceptable, is more gentle, you know, maybe more reasonable at the same time. Mm. Um, so labels, yes, labels do occur. I think not just within uh, a professional uh, field, but also in life generally. And I think that sometimes makes it difficult for people to um, to find a way. I think so as well. As I've said, you know, I've already declared on, you know, in this episode and on many previous episodes, I really personally do have a problem with labels because, and I speak from personal experience with myself and countless people that I've spoken to over over the years about the, debita- the debilitation of labels because they do create self-fulfilling prophecies. I think they do. I, I think it works in two ways. I think you're right because if you, if you are labelled... And then, as you say, it becomes a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, mostly negative. Absolutely. Okay. But I think that whether it's a conscious or subconscious process, that people will judge you by that label. Mm. So hence, you know, be careful what you focus on. Be careful of the words you use, what you put out there, because you'll create that energy. You'll create that self-belief. And ultimately, you'll attract that kind of world around you. I think so, and I think it, and I think that what happens is is that uh, that people's the way that people act towards you, and the way that people uh, speak to you, as I say, not necessarily you know consciously, it might even be a subconscious process. is is very is very rigid in there that they are somehow aware of the label, mm. and that's how they're going to deal with you in that particular in that particular way. But the point you make about the the negative self fulfilling prophecy is absolutely right because it. It prevents us. It prevents us from developing. It prevents us from self-actualizing. 
yeah. uh, because this is what we expect. And if we don't get the right influences, either from mentors or from our social uh, you know, circle, uh, then we do start to gravitate, as you say, towards people that we see as, as the same. You know? Absolutely, uh, and and as you say, then that that then allow, that gets us to to be stuck, if you want, for the want of a better word, in terms mm. of baby self actualizing, being able to go on and achieve the things that we didn't think was was possible. So yeah, I agree with that. I think that's probably yeah. quite true because we don't know what we don't know, do we? No, no. You know, such an obvious statement. When somebody said that to me a few years ago, it's like, wow, that's genius. And he looked at me as if to say, well, no, it's not. It's so obvious, but it is. But so is, you know, riding, a, I suppose so is the six numbers on the lottery after they've just drawn the lottery. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. When you know, you know. But when you don't, yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. But when as you say, when you don't know, you don't know. No. And I don't know how we tap into that not knowing. Maybe that's a part of, in terms of my professional life, I spent 10, nearly 11 years working with general practitioners based within a general practice uh, and uh providing mental health counselling for general practitioners. And I think that part of what I perceived as my role, an actual role, was that when people refer to me for a variety of mental health problems, part of my uh, role really was to kind of create an awareness if people didn't have it, to mm. create an insight, to create an understanding. Because once you have that, it's not always going to be successful. I had some you know, and many, many successes, if you like, if that's the label to use the word to use for it, many, many successes over the years of, 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 of counselling. Uh, but I also had a lot of, of, you know, unsuccessful interventions with people. But I think that what my, I saw, you know, I thought this is a, this is a starting point. I can start a process, but ultimately it would be that, that person's responsibility, if you like, or choice to, to, to develop it or not. Yeah. yeah, if that makes sense, I don't know it that, makes no. perfect sense. It's what I term leverage. Yeah, you know, do and I add it myself. I'll share this, and it's been shared many times. You know, my my leverage, my black and white moment came a few years ago with a drink, and I had a belief system, and it was a belief system that I was a hard drinking um, Irish descent brawler, and that was my identity. Yeah, now. I was addicted to the drink, psychologically, or so I thought, mm -hmm. to the point where I thought I was going to die, and I come close to death. So I had a decision, um, or I thought I had a decision to make, that do I want to live or do I want to die? And it was like, you know, I really did feel as if I was on my deathbed. That was, that was just over uh, nine years ago. I really did feel as if, you know, and I thought, okay, bang. That whole that old cliche about you know you really do need to reach rock bottom before you can rise. Don't know if I agree with that. I did at the time, but I've I've grown from that, and so you know it's that doesn't. I can see how in the infancy of a, a recovery journey, people may cling to that kind of almost polarized binary black or white yes or no type scenario. But as like everything else, as you progress, you realise that hang on, there's a lot of grey in between that black and white. Um, so for me, it was the thought that, or the the belief I was going to die. Okay, I don't want to die. I've got grandkids. I've got a future. All the things that I really want to do. Yeah, yeah. I'm strong enough now. And if I come through this, and this is my self-talk, right, life's going to be different and I will never, ever touch that, the demon drink again. And the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I think that's interesting that you say that, really, because I think some people find that within themselves. Mm. In my experience, again, professionally, is that, uh, and a lot of people, I'm sure there are far more people doing what you did, Paul, in terms of having having a, a, a problem, if you like, in inverted commas, uh, and, and dealing it without the need to seek professional help, mm. you know. Uh, there are also those people who have... Uh, issues or problems uh, that just need, if you like, for me, I always think to myself, I always thought, you know, I'm kind of like the the first uh, rung on a ladder. Yeah. Clearly these people have gone to a general practitioner with a, a, an issue that they've not either individually or family wise or social circle wise or work wise have been able to resolve. And I always saw myself as being someone that maybe just create a bit of an insight just yeah. to get people to understand what they're capable of themselves. Yeah. You know, I was never there. Some people came because we understand that that's nature. People, some people came saying, you know, you know, can you, can you solve my problems? And the answer would be every time, no, of course I can't, mm. I can help you. And I know again, that sounds a bit sort of cliche and a bit sort of, uh, you know, psychobabble. But, you know, I, I was there about me getting people to understand themselves. Absolutely. What do they already possess? Yeah. You know, uh, are they aware of it or not aware of it? You know, could I, yeah, yeah. Could I make them aware of, of what they possess in order mm. to resolve their particular issues or their particular problems? You know, I'd have been a very wealthy man and I wouldn't have been a mental health nurse if I could have solved people's problems. Mm. You know, it was about being the first rung on the ladder, getting people to understand themselves, what was available to them, both personally and maybe sometimes externally in terms of resources, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think, I mean, I've had lots of, you know, what I do now I really enjoy in terms of, of, of education within the NHS, uh, but the most satisfying professionally uh, was when I, uh, did a diploma in counselling and then as I say both was based with gen general practitioners for, for a decade uh, because it was the most uh, I think it's personally satisfying as well you know to see people develop and grow oh massively yeah, yeah. but sometimes it didn't always work it didn't always work you know and I think like everything in life you know uh, there are going to be some downsides to it you know, there are some people I tried to help and it was unsuccessful. But the vast majority of people, you just, I, for me, it was just setting people to start to the journey. You and I have often talked about journeys, even informally, when we've had a coffee together. And I think for me, it's just, you know, setting people off on a journey. Absolutely. You know, a pro, a pro, what I call prodding and poking because yeah. as they go along, oh, let me prod that, let me poke that. You know, life for me, I believe life is a very simple game and it's certainly not an exact science. You know, I absolutely challenge and hate the word, oh, we're broken. No, we're not broken. No. We might have lost our way a little bit. Yeah. We might be unsure. We might be confused because of whatever situation, but we're not broken. We're not, we're not, we're not a piece of Meccano that needs fixing. We just, you know, and you alluded to it there, Dale, we just need sometimes, all of us to varying degrees, that kind of gentle metaphoric arm around the shoulder to help us get back on track. I absolutely agree. And I, and I think that I, I don't think there's a person that I know that, that hasn't had that in some mm. shape or form, whether it's a friend putting an arm around them, spending 10 minutes chatting over a cup of coffee, whether it's someone who's gone to seek help from a, a professional. You know, I think everybody at some point in their life 
And I think maybe it's part of a continuing process Absolutely. because we, we have, you know, we have bumps in, in, in life, don't we? Mm-hmm. You know, we go along and then we'll hit a, hit a little bit of a bump. And, and I think that we, we, we tap into our own personal resources, you know, physically and psychologically. But sometimes we need to say, you know, well, I mean, I, mean, I need a bit of advice on this. You know, yeah. I need a bit of guidance. I need a bit of prompting. And I think that, the, you know, I, I would seriously question everybody who said that, that that's never happened for them. As I say, not always professionally. For the vast majority of people, it won't be professional help. But this is why we are what we are. You know, we survive. We're individuals, but we're we are part of that 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 group, aren't we? I know that over the issues, and we've all had issues in my life that I've often, if I've not been able to resolve it myself, sought you know help and guidance mm. and assistance from people who I believe are the right people to approach. Yeah, because again. We don't, you know, we don't go through life without those those bumps along the way, um, and mostly our personal resources allow us to overcome them. But there are times when we've got to step outside of that, you know, to, to get over that bump, if you like, and uh, and continue along, continue along the along the road, along the path. And I I agree with that, Dad, and I summarise that um, in a put. You know, obviously, I've done episodes with former professional footballers. Yeah. And for me, the the approach to life and approach to football, dressing room, is exactly the same because we have goals. We're working towards a goal, and whether it's in a football sense or in a life sense, challenges will come in yeah. to try and prevent that. Yeah. You know, things will happen. The game plan all of a sudden goes out the window. We go 1-0 down in the first two minutes of life or the car breaks down when we didn't we didn't anticipate, well, that wasn't planned for. What do we do now? Panic, panic. And that panic then usually is like a domino, knocking, brings in all this fear because I've simplified things very, well, really simple in terms of, you know, black and white. It's a choice between love and fear. Mm. And fear is by far the most dominant factor. We actually choose fear. Better the devil you know. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're absolutely right. And particularly with guys, stereotypically, big boys don't cry, I call it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for somebody who don't like well, labels, well, well, I've got quite a few labels, haven't yeah, I? Yeah, but, but these, <laughs> but you know, but the, the, you know, the, the big boys don't cry is is a, 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 an absolute understanding within the realms of, of psychology, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. that why... You know, sorry I interrupted you there, Paul, but, you know, I would say, uh, and this is really, that the vast majority of people who refer to me uh, by their general practitioner would have been uh, female. Mm. Yeah. Female. Yeah. Lots and lots of men I saw, you know, thousands of individuals over a decade, uh, but the vast majority would have been female. And I think that, you know, and again, it's a generalisation, but I think a lot of that would be is that uh, the way that we brought up and I'd include myself in that, uh, men are more resistant to seeking help. Yeah. Being more resistant to, to being vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, therefore, when a problem occurs, it's, it's not the thing to do to seek help. And, and where, where mainly men do seek help, I think, is when, when they get to a point, the, the breaking point, for the want of a better word, when mm. they, they, then they realise that maybe everything that they've been through, everything they've been told, the way that they've been brought up or they've been educated, they've, the problem still exists. And maybe now I need to, but there's, there's great resistance there. The big, boy, the big boys don't cry something that I've dealt with professionally for many, many years. Yeah, great yeah. resistance. 
Have you um, have you ever come across the film, Del, Angels with Dirty Faces? I have indeed, yeah. Very much of that ilk, isn't it? Where yeah. his, his preacher friend, uh, just for the benefit of the listeners that aren't aware of it... Um, James, uh, was it James Cagney, wasn't it? Jimmy Cagney, Jimmy yeah, Cagney. Uh, was the gangster. Um, and there was a preacher. And the, anyway, it, it starts off where the, the two kids are in the early life going to school. And obviously one goes down, the, the, the priest goes down the route of the church. Cagney goes down the route of... Um, more adverse life, being a gangster, etc. And he gets caught and the priest um, said, look, you're going to be hung for your crimes, but you can, you can do something really good. You can save tomorrow's youth by de-glamorising crime and all that. And he said, I can't do it because it was part of his conditioning. It was his belief. It was identity. It's who he was. He was a gangster. And that was it. And big boys don't cry. And the priest asked him to to say right at the end, as he was being um, led away for his death sentence, he wanted him to break down and cry and say, no, no, I can't. I can't cope with this. Please, please don't take my life and act like a coward on the surface of it. So all these onlooking young, impressionable eyes would see and de-glamorize the, you know, this this perception that the ad of this glorious, strong villain uh, gangster was shattered. And it, I mean, it was great. It was a great film because right until the last second, Agni held firm. No, I'm not going to wilt. And he did. And I, he I did. remember it. I remember it distinctly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that big boy did cry. And the moral of the story is obviously, you know, big boys do cry and, and we are all vulnerable and I don't care, you know, I've, I've, I've dealt with professional boxers, professional fighters. Yes, their hands might be a bit quicker. Yes, their bodies are obviously, you know, really conditioned to accept physical pain. But um, at the end of the day, you know, people are people. And we are, as whether we're black, white, young, old, man, woman, gay, straight, it's totally irrelevant. We're vulnerable. We're vulnerable creatures. I think we are, yeah. Because at the end of the day, we're all a, we're, we're, to a great extent, and it's not, it's not set in stone. But we're all, a, we're all a product of a past, you know. How have I become me, and how have you become you? You know, we're all to a great extent. We have that DNA. We have that, you know, that, you know, anatomical and physiological uh, similarities. But how have we become who we are? You know, and that's shaped over many, many years, isn't it? You know, in terms of your your early experiences, your family life, etc., etc. Um, so, so, but within that, there's a, there is an inbuilt vulnerability, I think. But we are what we are. We're shaped by different things. But it doesn't mean. That, as you said quite rightly, so because it's a great analogy, you know, angels with dirty faces, you know, never quite thought about that, but now you've said it, it, yeah. it works for me, um, you know. But we, we have the capacity to change, absolutely. You know, we have the capacity to change. We have the capacity to be different. Sometimes we find it ourselves, uh, and as I say, at other times it, it, it has to be the, the the awareness, the self awareness, because mm. a lot of people absolutely. lack awareness, don't they? And it is, you know, for me. I believe that life is as simple as ABC and the A is awareness. This was my very, very first episode. Mastering life as simple as ABC. And I'll stand by this. And yes, I've been on a journey for decades, worked with some of the world's top practitioners. So I suppose it's relatively easier for me to conclude with that now. Um, but the A is awareness and everything starts with awareness because we don't know what we don't know. Correct. Right. 
whether somebody tells us and then we put that to the test or however we find that out, we need to draw a line somewhere to say, well, that's my starting point. Now I'm aware of that. And I build upon that. The B is then we create a belief system around our level of awareness, wherever that may be. Now, those beliefs may change the more our awareness gets heightened because we discover new things. So, you know, as a child, I believed I would always take size five shoes. But as my awareness grew and as I grew, well, actually, now I need a size six and now a seven and now an eight and now a nine. So our beliefs change mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. more we become aware. Yeah, yeah. And then the C is the creativity. And it's that creativity to to challenge that who we think we are, actually, if we're happy, fine, we'll leave it at that. Because the purpose of life, in my humble opinion, is to be happy and to contribute. But if we're not, we can change it, as you've already alluded to. So how do we change it? Well, you'll, you, won't, you won't solve a challenge by dealing with it at the same level it was created. It's about rising above it and using different creative thought patterns to change that. And I liken that, I use the example of a helicopter. Um, if you imagine a helicopter on, on, on the ground level and the, the rotors are going round and all you can see is all these blades of grass sort of blowing everywhere. And, oh, you know, there's a blade of grass there, there's a blade of grass there. And this is this is a great metaphor for life, I believe, because isn't that what we do? We get distracted and we're constantly looking at different blades of grass, brackets, challenges. Oh, and that's that's a big blade of grass because called a gas bill. And that's a big blade blade of grass called my goldfish has just died. And, and there's another blade of grass called uh, my exhaust has just dropped off my car and all these things. And it's like, whoa, whoa. How about we stop worrying about these blades of grass? Because these challenges will just come and go. Yeah. How about we go up in the helicopter and we look down? All we see now is a big expanse of green. We don't see individual insignificant little blades of grass. And you know what? Let's take that a stage further. If we don't like what we see with that square or that rectangle or that whatever shape the field is of green, why don't we go on a journey to another field? See what happens over there. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's about creativity. It's about changing the perspective. Um, and, I, and, I, and I can't remember the name of the film because she was talking about that. You, you've used angels with dirty faces to, uh, to, 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 um, to make a point. And, and that, that helicopter rising and seeing it differently reminds me of a, a film where Robin Williams played uh, a teacher. And at some point in, in the film, we got the, 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 the kids in the school yes. um, to, to stand on the tables, to stand on the desks in the classroom. And then ask them, you know, because it gave them a different perspective. Yeah. How did things look from, you know, sitting at the desk to actually standing on it? And I think that kind of, in some sense, in my mind, ties in. Mm. Can I remember the name of the film? I've, I've got you. It's gone, but it's gone. Yeah. But, but the point, film. yeah, great film. Absolutely great film. Great role by uh, Robin Williams. But I think that's right, because once that helicopter's taken off, we have a different perspective, don't yeah. we? Yeah. But it's how we achieve that. What get, what for me... What fascinates me is, you know, you know, what what does it take to get the helicopter off the ground? That's a great question, and that leads me in very nicely, Del, um, to something that within one of the frameworks I operate is the three Ps, and the first one is the critical one. 
purpose what is our life's purpose now that's a massive question yeah, massive, massive question massive. but actually it's a very simple answer it's what we're doing here and now and that was an answer that was given to me by jim Britt, one of the top coaches in the world and it is so simple you know we we should be doing this well what does should mean mm. there's no such thing as we should mm. be we're doing what we're doing we're at the level of awareness that we're at whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, because people, yet again, will put a label on it. Oh, yeah. yeah. But we are where we are, and we're doing our best. The vast majority of human nature does the best with what they know. People will judge that and say that's not good enough, mm -hmm. but that's an external judgment, yeah. which is yet again a label. Well, that might be your perception, but thank you, but no thank you, because this is my world, and within my consciousness, I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, yeah. So, some sense of what you seem to be saying is: is that, do you think there's a, a general lack of failing to 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 be, appreciate the here and now? Is it is there a is there a sense of striving and and if we strive uh, and the striving causes us to fail, which becomes this negative, you know, uh, you know, consequence for us physically sometimes and and, and mentally mostly. Um, what what causes us to do that? Why are we not content? With the here and now and that fascinates me about what influences that you know what you know what 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 stops us being content with the here and now and i think that's again a difficult question to answer because we are you know uh, influenced by so many different things that isn't it as simple though though no, it's conditioning oh yeah yeah absolutely i mean it is because when you look at a newborn child he or she coming into the world there's no there's no labels, there's no plasters, there's no prejudices on that. You Absolutely. know, they learn that behaviour. And of course, you know, be the best you can be. You've got to be this. You've got to be that. Well, actually, no, you haven't. But we have to unlearn that behaviour. Yes. You know, our parents do the best they can, our peers, everybody around us, because we're in this society of dog eat dog. You've got to win at all costs. You've got to come first. You've got to have a, you know... You've got to have a five-bedroom house. You've got to have a Rolex watch. Well, why have you? Yeah. Who says you have? Yeah. You know, and all this glitzy glamming and, and the media, I think, have got a, a massive, massive responsibility to redress the balance. And maybe, and maybe I think you're right, because maybe that, to a certain extent, answers some of the questions of why there is so much uh, mental ill health. Because I think, you know, that we, you and I have spoken before about, you know, you know, do do we become ill mentally? And, and this is proven. It, I mean, it is. Some people do because it's a, a genetic, it's an inherent thing. Yeah. I think for me personally, it's a personal opinion, and I, and I don't profess to be a, you know, a, a consultant psychiatrist. But I think a lot of it is that we, you've said as a child, we all start for like that blank piece of paper, aren't we? Yeah. You know, so why does it go okay for some people? You know, why are you and I now not in a, a mental health hospital and some people are? Um, and I think a lot of that is because of, you know, society's uh, expectations, the pressures. And as the media has developed in the way that it has, you know, from, from you and I being children, I mean, it's a massive leap. And I think what that does is it serves a lot of the time to create dissatisfaction, mm. dissatisfaction, 
with how a person might be personally or, or as you say, about possessions, things that, that we are, uh, if you like, fed to believe are the important things, you know. Your worth as a person is based on whether you've got a Ferrari sitting on the drive or not, you know. And External we, trinkets. Yeah, it is, yeah. And I think what that tends then is that, that, that society then doesn't value a person and they start to not value themselves, because they start to, 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 to judge it, if you like, uh, on what they possess or don't possess, mm. rather than their, their qualities, you know. Better to have somebody who is honest and genuine and a, and a real friend than someone who will, you know, and again, it's cliched, you know, than someone who is just, you know, superficial and, and, and you know, everything they're based on is materialistic. I think we all, we all strive to a degree with materialism, some more than others, it's important for some people, less important for others. But but I think that, you know, I, I tend to surround myself with, with people. And I've got friends who are wealthy. Um, but I tend to surround myself with people who are very similar to me. There's a similar outlook, a similar background. Uh, people I know that are genuine people that if I had problems in my life and I have had they're the people I go to and, it, and it's based on it's based on their it's based on them not what they possess for, for me personally yeah. uh, I don't know whether that makes sense whether it was a bit kind of rambling but that for me is more important but I think you're right more and more so and I fear you know um, I fear for, for children growing up now mm. and, the, and the next generations because they've been exposed to it uh, the expectation uh, much sooner than you and I did because yeah. it didn't exist then, you know. There were different expectations, you know. You know, you want to get in the school football team or you want to be popular at school, whatever. But now it's so much more in your face, you know. And there's evidence out there, isn't there, really, you know, that uh, because of social media, which I think is a great thing, but it can also be um, a, a double-edged sword. Absolutely. You know, you know, the number of suicides among teenage individuals because of things that have have been created by social media so I'm, I'm a, a little fearful for coming generations because as I say they're they're exposed to it in a way that you and I weren't able to partly through technology partly because attitudes in society were you know were different then and this is where Del I firmly believe that uh, people uh, and dare I say people like me and you have a responsibility to raise awareness yeah because you know yet again how many times has that word been used in this conversation yeah. it stops and starts with awareness everything stops and starts you know coming very closely on on that coattail is what is our purpose in life now that's a bit you know you imagine saying to a i was going to say a young child you know what's your purpose you say it to most adults they don't know yeah and you know for me it's a bit like a ship in life's turbulent seas if you haven't got a destination and plotting a course you're just going to be tossed from one rock to the next you're drifting you're drifting if you and you know the old saying that if you don't stand for something you'll fall for everything and i think it's very sad that so many people and i did it for decades and this is how i speak with authority on it that i didn't have a purpose well I, I gave myself a purpose but it was false right but it, it was a survival technique and it was brutal I know that now. I didn't know it then. You know, I will fight for the underdog because of my early conditioning of violence and addiction. My role, as I saw it, this was a conscious decision at 13 and a half years of age, as I sat there ready to slash my wrists, that no, this ain't right. I need to fight for my mother because she's taking beatings on my behalf. So I, I'm the man of the house. 
I had to grow up almost within a second. Yeah. I'm going to sort that. Yeah. That then set a path. Oh, I've got a strong Irish heritage. I've heard about the tear-ups that the boys have when they've drank pachine. That's who I'm going to be. So I, I went down with Irish Joe every Sunday morning to the allotment and we was drinking pachine and I created this survival identity. Yeah. It was yeah. all false. Yeah. All false. Yeah. Because it's not who I was. No. And, but that's not- what we do. But were you aware of the fact that it wasn't you at the time? No. No. And, that, and I think that's like no. you've said. I think the, the A part of your ABC is right. You know, that is, if you don't have that, then nothing else can happen, can it? In a sense of, you know, you talked about, you know, we creatively have to, to think about how we are and what we are. But as you say, but without A, and I use this a completely different context, but I think it's like saying the same thing. You know, my current, you know, uh, professional uh, life is, uh, is around life support and resuscitation. And we talk about ABC, airway, breathing and circulation. Yeah. But the reality is, is that if, if, a, if a person physiologically doesn't have an airway, then the, the breathing and the circulation is irrelevant. Absolutely. Because if I have a problem with my airway then the B and the C are irrelevant. I'm going to perish. Don't worry about the B and C. And, and, and your analogy, you know, using your analogy, that same. bit of life is exactly the same. You know, if you, if you don't have awareness, it has to be created. Otherwise, you know, that, that course of your life is going to continue. And as I said, you know, I know we're, we're revisiting what I said earlier, but I thought that was really a, a big part, a big part of my time working with general practitioners when people referred to me was to, to start that, you know, because people would come, you know, with understandably, you know, mm. why, why do I feel like this? Why am I like this? You know, and wouldn't I be some magician if I was just able to say it's because of this? You know, that's why it required more exploration. Let me find out a little bit more about you. Let's see how you've come to be where you are. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. The many times, you know, I don't want to feel like this. Why do I, why, why do I think? Why do I feel like this? Why am I like this? Because we get that wrapped up in our own head. Yeah. It's all in the head. It's all in the mind. And it's like, it's like a goldfish bowl because I'm doing a lot of stuff around consciousness at the moment. And what I've, in, in the infancy of that very... I would say complex, um, although it's certainly seeming that way at the moment because I'm looking to to kind of experience that consciousness at a real deep level. Now that can't be manufactured. That's got to be a natural a natural process. Um, but in very simple terms, what I'm learning is when we have an, an experience, because things that that motivate us. Now we use the word motivate rather than inspire. But things that motivate us externally, new car, you know, holiday in the Bahamas, you know, £10,000 watch, whatever it may be, external silver trinkets. Yes, yeah. yeah. They're short-lived. They'll come and go. Yes. They'll come and go. So what I've learned is, is actually in terms, this kind of three levels, what I've got for the mind and the body and the world, which is around duality, is this alter ego called Shufflefoot. That's my human, vulnerable, uh, negative, inverted commas, real self. Yeah. Oh, poor old me. Yeah, but you don't understand my world. And we've all got that. Oh, yeah. No, Absolutely. No, yeah. People would be like to say differently. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. We've all got that. The secret is to catch it. Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, Steve Peters wrote about the chimp paradox. For me, it's a bit like the chimp knocking on the door wanting to play up and be truculent and cause you problems, because that's what the chimp does uh, in his most adverse form or her most adverse form. 
And it's saying, okay, I hear you knocking. I've got to let you in because I can't ignore you because you're part of me. You know what? Don't take your coat off because you're not stopping. Yeah. Come in. Yeah. Allow it to process through the heart and then let it go out. And there's techniques for doing that. If you don't, oh, I'll do that later. I'll do that later. It's It's got to go somewhere. That energy has got to go somewhere. I'll tell you what, let me go and park yourself up there in the mind. I've got to go somewhere. I'll save that experience for a rainy day. Somebody, you know, somebody did something really good or really bad. I'll park that. Oh, I need to remember that. That was great. Happy. Happy, real great. Happy. I want to cling to that happiness. But it's the same principle. Mm. Enjoy it in the moment and let it go. Mm. And make room for a, a potential another happy moment. But we don't. Now, the damage limitation, I believe, on, on creating and storing something happy um, is, is nothing compared to the negative ones that we store. You know, we all do that. I do. Even now, I have to, um, you know, because of my level of awareness, I know that a natural reaction will come from something that when I, I work it through, and I can work it through in seconds now, from my childhood, a conditioning, a belief, getting first. You know, if I yeah. feel, feel yeah. myself getting emotional, yeah. well, remember, Paul, big boys don't cry. Uh, yeah. Ah, this one does now. Yeah. It's okay now. Yeah. But that, no, don't cry. Get your stiff upper lip. Win at all costs. Not, all not, not the real you. Uh, but I think it's about stripping that away, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. It's about stripping that away. Uh, and that's, and there, I think therein lies the problem is about, you know, how, how do we strip that away? How, you know, A, the A bit, the awareness, you're absolutely right. Where, where does that awareness come from? Does it, is, does it come from us trying, you know, being ourselves and coming out, having problems and always feeling the same or having the same outcome? How do, I would, how do we create a different outcome? How do we strip away all of that to be, you know, happy with ourselves, happy who we are, what we do, what we possess? And as I say, and I think people do, maybe you're a point in question, uh, you know, find that other people have to to seek it. There's a re- yeah, um, and there's a reason... It comes back to something that we said, uh, Dell, at the top of the conversation. It's a question of leverage. How much fear stroke pain have you got in your life? Because when you're desperate, you will go and look for that lever. Yeah, yeah. When you're just, oh, do you know what? I've got a bit of a a metaphoric toothache. Um, Yeah. It's okay. It's giving me grief, but better better than going to the dentist because I don't like dentists. Yeah, yeah. So what you're saying really is it's by degrees, isn't it? Yeah, there's levels. I think there are levels, yeah. Levels, degrees. And again, I think in, in, in a professional context... Most people will cope with life and what life throws at them. They'll continue along the journey. As I said, you know, everybody, whoever you are, however much you own, whatever your, your, your position or status in life, will have those bumps. But I think you're right. I think it's by, you know, how much does it, does it affect you? Hmm. How, by, you know, what level, you know, how much of an effect is it playing on your life is what the way that I see it. You know, when I was certainly, again, I'm, I'm repeating myself possibly to a point of distraction when I was working with general practitioners, a lot of people referred to me uh, for uh, bereavement counselling, people yeah. who'd lost people. And um, it's interesting, people's uh, individual, even professionals, you know, uh, general practitioners refer people to me to say, can you see this, this person who's, uh, who's lost their, uh, their husband, you know, three weeks ago? They are having difficulty coping with it. And part of my role was to educate GPs to say, you know, that after three weeks of someone dying, you're not having difficulty coping with it. You're grieving. 
And it's about understanding what is what is 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 normal. Part of that was my role, you know, like saying, you know, you don't want to feel uh, like you do, but given what's happened, that is normal. Yeah. Not desirable, but normal. Mm. So again, creating insight, creating awareness, yeah. you know. Yeah. What, you know, someone who's lost a life partner, you know, maybe 40 years of marriage. Yeah. You know, feel that they, you know, people, the amount of times, Paul, that people come and see to me and say, uh, I, I can't cope with the fact that I've lost my husband. They've been married for 40 years. It was like four weeks ago. And part of the problem was one, was they're not understanding that, but part of the problem was GPs. As I say, part of my role as a nurse practitioner was to, to educate GPs and say, yeah. well, look, you know, does this feel appropriate? Yeah. You know, so creating insight and understanding. But it's about, you know, about, again, levels of, you know, the degree to which it upsets the harmony of your life, if you like, your physical and your, your psychological well-being. I've had bereavements. I've lost my mum, my dad, and my brother died, you know, quite tragically at a very early age. You know, and I look back on those, uh, you know, I, I didn't need to seek professional help. Okay. And I think that, I lent on friends, mm. of course, lent on family. And that was very, very necessary. And the pain from those personal experience, uh, as indescribable, I love my dad to bits, you mm. know, and I was, I was absolutely, I was devastated when my mum died and, and my brother, of course, you know, but I love my dad to bits. And it was, you know, one of the hardest things that I've ever had to experience in my life, you know, hardest ever. I, I, I can't think of, any other single thing that's happened to me in my life that, that felt so so difficult. Now, I didn't need to seek professional help um, because my background created a degree of insight and understanding, well, you know, I don't want to feel like this. I don't want to be like this. But it's, but it's, but it's, it's normal for the circumstance. Okay? I think the thing is, though, Del, we, you know, certainly from my summary stroke experience that we, we're... We can get from A to B one of two ways. We can go in a direct line, and that is going to be by enlisting the help of a professional or, or a mentor or some a guide. As a, because if you don't and you go on a voyage of discovery, eventually you may get there, but you're going to be all over the place because you are going to be that proverbial ship without a course and you're going to be hitting one rock, then another. So your pain and suffering and confusion is going to be compounded all over the place to the point where you just think, I'm overwhelmed, I can't cope with this. And that's where having that mentor, that professional, that guide, that support will say, okay, listen, I understand what's happening here. Mm -hmm. I absolutely understand. Keep the faith. Mm. You're, 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 a, you're a, a fraction away from the next level. You can't see that. Yeah. But I can. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, for me, Del, that's why I do the work I can do. Because when I look at where I'm at in my life now, and people make their own judgment on whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, that's that's their label, not mine. But I've made sense of my journey now. And, and it is, for me, the highest human need of contribution to stop people suffering and going on that long, 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 long journey of, of prodding and poking of discovery to find your purpose. Yeah. We can do that very quickly. And I don't care how much pain you're in, what your circumstances in, what labels you're carrying, because there is certain things that we can do 
to move away from that. And the reason I know that, I've spent over 40 years finding out the hard way. Yeah. Doesn't have to be that no, way. No, no, no. So I suppose, um, I mean, my parting quip on this, what I think has been a fascinating conversation, Bill, uh, um, and I'll ask you for yours in a moment, but um, my parting quip um, on, on this would be for anybody that is purposeless or struggling or in pain or suffering would be very simply reach out and, and do get some support from somebody either as a professional or as a mentor, whatever. There's no right, there's no wrong. There's pros and, you know, there's, there's debates about which is the best. There is no best, there is no worse. It's what works for you as a model. From your own perspective, Del, what, what would you kind of, um, how would you summarise the, as I say, the fascinating conversation and, and what would be your message to people that, you know, as a generalisation, let's just use the term suffering because it's it's an umbrella label. Yeah. I mean, I think in all honesty, uh, I, I, I agree with what you've just said, really. I think that people need to reach out. I think people need, will understand, will, may learn that why they find that difficult. But ultimately, I think that if people want to find peace and contentment, then they do have to reach out. You know, and it goes back to me to that all about awareness. You know, once they are aware of what stops them doing that, what labels they're carrying, mm. they can then move on and reach out to people. And it's not a sign of weakness. No, absolutely. It's not. You know, it's not. And, and I think really that, that for me is the kind of overarching, uh, you know, statement is that, 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 that seeking help, be it formal or informal, for most people and I would have included myself at this in times of my life, would, is, is felt as or perceived as a sign of weakness. Mm. And it's not, okay? Difficulties in life are going to occur. We don't have to suffer. You're, you know, you're an example of, as, in your own words, of, of learning the hard way, yeah. okay? And I think that my message to people is because it doesn't have to be like that. There are the right sort of people. It doesn't have to be a professional it is about the, 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 if you see that you think the person is the right person to share sometimes very personal things with, then that might be enough. Absolutely. But, but reach out, reach out most definitely. Yeah, Absolutely. Most definitely. Um, just want to finish off, Del, with one, and it's a massive, massive question. And I, I think we've got to be careful not to go down to, because we could probably double or treble the time just on this one question. Indeed. But depression, do we have a choice? Um... I think for me personally, and maybe all of the experts would say otherwise, I think no. I think no. There are schools of thought uh, that would say that it's an hereditary, a, a sort of a, a part of a person's makeup. For me personally, and again, in my experiences professionally, I've seen, you know, we, you and I spoke very briefly, Paul, you know, are we disturbed by events or are we disturbed by the view that we take of events? Mm. Um, and I think it's the latter. I think we are disturbed by the view that we take of events. However, things occur in people's lives, bereavement, divorce, redundancy, uh, tragedy. Um, and it's, it, 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 it's difficult for me to imagine that if someone suffers a, 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 a tragedy, whatever that may be, that they are not in some way affected by that now whether that would be classed as clinical depression for me really it's about I'm more about you know variations in mood would be out I'd be more comfortable with that than saying somebody was depressed you know mm. I know that I know how I felt when I lost family members I have dealt with people who've had 
you know, uh, similar and different experiences. Um, so in a very sort of circuitous way, I, I, do we have a choice? I think, I think no, because external influences will, 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 will create that. And the view that we take of a situation will as well. And we've already discussed to a certain extent about why we would take a particular view of something in terms of our own background, our own experiences, mm. our own upbringing, etc. I don't know if that answered your question, Paul. It does that? answer my question, yeah. Um, interesting, in my view, is, is totally polarised to yeah. that. Um, there is no right, there is no wrong. No, I agree. Um, but I believe we do have a choice because whatever event is bestowed upon us, and you've given some excellent example there, you know, bereavement, redundancy, divorce, etc., etc. you know, all these heart-wrenching um, things that, that do happen, they're real in our lives. We do have a choice. You know, those events are neutral. The power is the emotion that we give them. So you could have a divorce situation where two people are just can't stand each other and they're glad to get divorced. Mm -hmm. So under that D word divorce, yeah. that's no problem. Conversely, you could have a couple that's been together for donkey's years and, you know, they're devastated. Well, one's devastated because the other one's gone. But the point is, it's an external event and the individual then has, uh, that's a neutral uh, external event. But you have a choice on how you deal with that. How you interpret it. I, yeah, I yeah. think you're right. Yeah. The meaning you give it. The meaning you give, and I think I think I'm, I said to you before that it might have been. I think it was Alfred Adler that that, that was a great uh, a great believer in that, mm. uh, and, I, and it's almost like a contradiction. I agree because there's, there's a bit of me that, that that sees that, but I think that in terms of choice, is uh, you know, you're right. You know how you perceive a situation, how a situation might affect you will probably affect me differently yes. if it affects me at all. Yes. The only thing I was trying to suggest really was that. That, that our perceptions of it, your view of that situation and my view has been shaped by things that we've not always been able uh, to, to control or, or be aware of. So it's a little bit more, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, so the, the way that I came across, the, the, the answer that I gave was slightly different to what I was actually thinking. If that, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And I think yeah. to tie the two together, that's probably a, a timely suggestion for us to both go up in a helicopter look down on the field and say do you know what let's move on to a new field yeah let's get a different take on this <laughs> let's get a different take on this yeah I, i'm ending this conversation with that i really enjoyed it it's 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 taking me back to things that i've not had to think about for a while yeah uh, uh but I'm, I'm i'm left feeling frustrated that i can't remember the name of the uh, the robin williams film <laughs> and as soon as we come off here it'll be one of those Fancy that, not remembering that. In fact, I'm sure we'll Google it on the phone. <laughs> absolutely. That's going to be my first job, Paul. Okay. First job. All right then, Derek, that's been absolutely superb. Is there anything that you want to add um, at all? No, not for me, really. It's. Um, I'm hoping that uh, if people do listen to this, that they find it uh, interesting. It, it wasn't, uh, hopefully from my point of view, too rambling. Uh uh, and I want people to take take messages away from it. I want people to take from from it what they feel they need to take from it. Yeah. You know, if it's if it's given people an understanding, an insight, uh, an awareness back to a, uh, then then I then then I'll be I'll be very pleased about that because that's a part of me and, and what I want to want to give to other people as well. I think that's part of your vocation. Yeah, part of my vocation, indeed. Excellent. Okay. Thank you, Derek. 
So there you have it, listeners. That was our Mastering Life episode for today. Uh, hope, As Derek says, I hope you've enjoyed it. And um, until the next time, keep mastering life. Thanks for listening to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. Drop a line to paul at paullowhearts.com with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at paullowhearts.com or any of his social media feeds under the same name. Remember, mastering life starts by embracing our hearts.